This podcast is sponsored by Monarch Money. Are you saving to reach your financial goals? Reaching those goals isn't just about getting more money, but by managing what you have. And the best way to manage your money? Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a new kind of finance app that's intuitive, powerful, ad-free, and takes the headaches out of budgeting. Try it free when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. Monarch puts all your accounts, investments, transactions, and finances at your fingertips. With a complete view of your finances, you'll gain insights on your spending and find new ways to save. Plus, Monarch lets you customize your dashboard, collaborate with your partner, set custom budgets and goals, and track your progress toward them. See why Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it, and why the Wall Street Journal named Monarch Money the best budgeting app overall. Get a 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H money.com slash podcast for your free trial. monarchmoney.com slash podcast. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and back with me today for our Week 8 Mailbag is my co-host, Curtis. And yeah, we did our best to recap as much of the Florida game as we could on Monday's episode. We had to tough it out through that one, but we got through it. But of course, we never have enough time to cover everything that we want to cover in the depth that we want to cover it in. So that's where these mailbag episodes come in. Not only do they give us the chance to cover everything that we couldn't cover on the recap episode, they also allow us to discuss exactly what you guys want to hear us discuss. And that is exactly what we plan to do today on the show. Before we get started, though, I do want to quickly thank everyone who has rated and reviewed the podcast, subscribed to the podcast over the past couple months, going all the way back to the spring. We really appreciate that. We tried our best to to stay active and produce a bunch of content for you guys through the pandemic months. I know that was tough for everyone for a lot of different reasons, but we tried our best to give you at least some escape each and every week. So we really appreciate you guys helping us out there. That's been a huge help for us as we've gotten into this season. So keep it coming. If you you haven't rated or reviewed the show yet, if you get a chance, that'd be awesome. We'd greatly appreciate it. Subscribe to the show on whatever platform you listen to it on if you you are not already, because that will upload all of our new episodes directly to your feed. And it'll make it more convenient to listen to all the new episodes that we produce for you guys as soon as they are ready. But all right, on to the good stuff. And Curtis, as is the case each and every week, we are loaded up with a multitude of great questions. And we're going to try to get through as many of them as we possibly can. We give it our best shot. We can always get through the questions during the, the offseason because we can always break it into like two episodes if we have to. Not necessarily that easy during the season because we have a lot of content that we try to fit into each and every week with four episodes that we try to produce for you guys. But uh, we're going to get through as many of them as we possibly can today. And as has essentially... For all practical purposes, become a rite of passage here on the Glory UGA podcast each week on these mailbag episodes. We're going to open the show with, of course, you guessed it, a series of questions focused on the quarterback position. Kurt, it truly has been remarkable how many different quarterback questions our listeners can come up with, and like how many different angles there are to look at this situation. But and honestly, to come up with these different questions without repeating questions, like we're getting different kind of questions about the quarterback spot each and every week. But hey, I mean, coming out of each and every game, the quarterback position seemingly every week is the top storyline. So why not just start there? And that's exactly what we're going to do here today. So we've got a couple of questions here about the quarterback, and then we'll move on to some different topics. And we're going to start with, I think this is an interesting question, Curtis. I'm curious where your mind is on this. 
This is a question from rational exuberance. And I don't know if this is asked like tongue in cheek. It might be, but also it could be completely legitimate. Cause I think you can, I mean, I can see where someone would come from with this question. And what he asked is this, is Georgia's quarterback situation the worst quarterback situation in the SEC East, if not even maybe the entire SEC. What's your take on that, Kurt? Is he onto something? Yeah, I actually agree with that. You know, just off the top of my head, um, just giving a rapid response, I would say so. I mean, it's hard to find a situation that's much worse than where we are right now. Um, realistically, just thinking off the top of my head, maybe the closest is Kentucky. But even then, I mean, I would still at this point probably take who they have, but I don't know. But outside – I mean, maybe Vanderbilt. Uh, outside Vanderbilt and Kentucky, I don't know if you really have any other quarterbacks that are – I mean, Tennessee's had problems, but I still think they're better than what we have. So, I mean, just looking at it, you know, right now, I don't think that's too far-fetched. Okay, so I, I'm not saying it's far-fetched. I, I will agree with you there, but I'm going to disagree. I don't think that we have the worst quarterback situation in the East. And I, I understand the impulse to say that, especially coming off the past couple of weeks where we – obviously the second half of the Alabama game, the Kentucky game, which was – who watching, as my tennis instructor says, like watching paint dry. Uh, he texted me that during the game and, and mentioned it at, uh, at our practice the other day. Uh, that, that was a tough game to watch. It was great to win, but it was a tough game to watch for sure. And then, of course, the Florida game where we just had so many. Again, that's, that's been the story of the year. So many wide receivers running open all year long and just not being able to consistently hit them. I mean, potentially game-changing type plays and not being able to hit them. So it has been a problem. There's no doubt. And we certainly have – we don't have the best situation in the SEC East. That, that's clear. But I'm a, let's take it team by team. I mean, Florida has a better situation, right? Obviously, Kyle Trask, Emory Jones. Yeah, no question about that. Yeah, no question. Um, what about this week's opponent, Missouri? Do they have a better situation at quarterback than we do? The guy, since they made that change to the quarterback the now, their yeah. offense. Yeah, I mean, I would take him over both of our, at least our first two options, because we still don't know what we have in JT. So I'm just, you know – Looking at the our quarterback situation, I'm just basing it off our first two so far. Um, and so right now, I would take him over both of our first. Two. Oh, so you're not even considering JT Daniels in the conversation at all? Um, it's hard to put him in the conversation because you just don't know. So when you when I think about what our current quarterback situation is, I'm just I'm going off of what we have seen. I think that's fair. It's tough because we don't like like I told you guys in the recap show. Like when I was told by someone extraordinarily close to the situation, Curtis, I told you who it was. So you know this is someone very close to uh, the situation who would know these things. I was told that at least earlier in the year, he was not close to healthy. The, the injury was way worse than we thought it was. And there were some doubts, there some concerns early in the year. Like, was he ever going to be back to being even close to what he was? And that, that could certainly just be based off where he was a couple of weeks ago. I don't know. Maybe he has progressed. I hope he has progressed. We heard that he was getting first team reps at Monday's practice, which is great news. That's a big step forward. But, uh, I mean, I, you just don't know because the, the injury situation, that's something that could change from day to day, week to week. You know, guys can improve. Um, but I, I've, I can't completely throw him out. Like, I, you can't consider him to be the JT Daniels he was pre-injured. Like, go back to the first game of last year with, with USC before the injury, the first half of that game against Fresno State. We can't just say he's that guy. But I think even if he's not going to be fully healthy this year, if, if he stays on the roster and doesn't transfer, which that's not a guarantee – then I think next year, I think it's reasonable to think that, yeah, he could be back to being healthy and 100% again with a spring practice under his belt the whole nine yards. So, like, but go back, Missouri, yeah, right now with what we have, Connor Basilic, the redshirt freshman, has since he's been inserted in the starting lineup at Missouri, that's changed their offense. They've been much better. I mean, he's completed 69% of his passes, a little over 1,100 yards, and I think three games as a starter, averaging 220 yards a game. That's better than any of our, better than Stetson, better than Dewan. And again, of course, Daniels would be the, 
the wild card there, but I, I might give Missouri a slight edge in 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 that in that matchup there with us from the quarterback position. I might go with Missouri. Uh, you mentioned Tennessee, Kirst. You really think Tennessee is a better quarterback situation than we do? I mean, I don't know if you can really say it's much worse. I don't think it's much worse. I mean, I mean Guarantano I mean, has been very inconsistent, yeah, but has it been any more bad inconsistent-wise than what we have seen? Yeah, Guarantano, like, he he has that, like, as I've said many times on the show, he has that self-destructive gene. But in between that, he actually has some moments of, like, lucid play where he's actually pretty good. He just can't keep it up for long stretches of time. Like, he might do it for a game. Last year against Missouri, he threw for 400 yards. The first half against us, he played well. In the second half, he was a nightmare. He had that self-destructive gene. But, I mean, he's more of a playmaker than what we've seen from Stetson Bennett. He's more of a playmaker than what we've seen from Dwan Mathis. Like, he's not great. He's not perfect. And Tennessee fans will probably disagree with me on this. I I mean, is it crazy to say that you might take him over what we've put out there so far? No, and that's my point is I don't think it's too crazy to honestly believe that. I mean – Yeah, I mean, I know he's he, he turns the ball over a lot and makes some bonehead decisions, but Stetson's been doing that. Dwan Mathis, I mean, I don't – like you said in the recap show, like throwing the ball up for grabs. I know it was on fourth down and, and that kind of thing. I get that. But just – he doesn't seem racist. There were times when it wasn't on fourth down. Yeah. But I will say, like, Brian Maurer, their backup, he's very – to me, he's kind of the equivalent of Dewan Mathis. I know he's got a little bit more experience, but he seems in over his head when he gets in. He's a good dual-threat guy, but limited – I mean, he's got a pretty good arm, good physical tools, but just isn't there yet as a passer to understand that quarterback position yet. You got Harrison Bailey, they're, they're true freshmen who they're pretty high on. But, like, even though Daniels is not 100% healthy right now, at least from what I've heard, I still would take Daniels over Harrison Bailey. So that might be a push. Maybe – I don't know. That's interesting. If, if if you have a healthy JT Daniels, I would take us, but obviously he's not healthy right now. Um, that's an interesting one. Kentucky. See, I I I I would slightly disagree with you there. I think that what we have, which hasn't been great, is better than the combination of Terry Wilson and, and Joey Gatewood. Those guys have been abysmal the passing game. And yeah, they can run the ball a little bit. I I'll give you that. But I mean, there's been multiple games this year where Terry Wilson has thrown like a hundred yards. So I I would slightly take our situation over them right now, which, I mean, that's the thing, though. It's like we're sitting here comparing Georgia's quarterback position to Kentucky's quarterback position. Even if we have a slight advantage there right now, it's like when should that ever be the case? When should we ever be yeah, comparing that, Georgia to that, Kentucky? That's right. Yeah, and, I, and Vanderbilt, like Kenny Seals has actually been putting up some yards, man. He, I mean, no one knows who this guy is. He's, been, he's thrown for 300-plus yards a couple games, so heck, he might be better than what we have right now. I haven't seen the guy play much. I've watched them very sparingly, sparingly this year. watched him a little bit in week one against A&M, but I haven't really watched him since then. What, who am I missing here? Oh, well, okay, South Carolina. Because South Carolina fans are calling for Colin Hill's head right now. Well, I agree with that. I've always thought it was questionable. I know that um, the backup, the guy who got a lot of PT last year, was yeah, Helensky wasn't the, the best, but I don't know at this point how you haven't given him a shot. It, well, no, like kind of, it is very similar to this Stetson Bennett thing. Like, like Hill is steady, smart, understands things. He's just not a he's not a game changer. He's not he's not a, a no, guy. That's he's lost games in his own right with picks and things like that. So it's not like he's out there only protecting the ball. Right. Kind of like why we right. were questioning why Stetson was still the guy after he was starting to turn it over. Yeah, if your value is supposed to be that you protect the football, you're smart, you don't put the team in bad situations, but yet you're doing that, then what value do you have to your team? As we said with Stetson Bennett, I think Colin Hill, they're kind of there with him right now. And, and look, I don't, I'm not sure Ryan Linsky's the answer. It's kind of like Dwan Mathis uh, or Carson Beck or maybe even JT Daniels when he's not 100% healthy. I'm not sure he's the answer for them, but like at this point, you know that Colin Hill is not the answer. Kind of like you know at this point, JT Daniels are, are – sorry. Kind of like you know at this point that Stetson Bennett – 
is not the answer for us. And honestly, right now, I don't think that Dwan Mathis is the answer for us right now. I think we can probably, I know we haven't seen a ton of him, but it has, he hasn't always been put in the, in the right position, but he's kind of overwhelmed when he gets out there. So why not give Helinski a chance? But look, with the fact that we have Carson Beck, I still think he'd be a good quarterback, and JT Daniels, I would actually take our situation over South Carolina's because I don't think Colin Hill is very good, and I'm not sold on Holinsky. I mean, I know Daniels is not healthy, 100% healthy, because it doesn't seem that way. But what I've seen from him in his past and what I've seen from Holinsky, I, I would take JT Daniels. So, again, not a – not a, 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 a runaway for us there, but I would take us over South Carolina's quarterback position. So I would put it like somewhere in the middle of the pack of the SEC East. Certainly not the top, not the bottom, somewhere in the middle of the pack there. It's certainly not a great position that we're in right now with the quarterback spot, but it, I think other teams do have it worse. Uh, but that doesn't make us feel any better because we're supposed to be better than them, and there's no reason that we should be in this situation. And I understand, look, again, I I do think Kirby is, I've said this before, in some, in some respects a, a victim of circumstance here this situation with Jamie Newman and, you know, opting out and JT not being. Especially now that Jamie Newman can play in the uh, senior bowl in the middle of COVID winter, but can't play. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. What did you make of that? Like, what was your reaction when you saw that, that, and the first edit actually had him in a Georgia uniform when they announced it on social media. And I was like, huh? It just feels, it just feels my, um, distaste. Yeah. You're disdain for I, I know that you are uh, not a Jamie Newman fan. Let's just say that, and I'm I'm not either. I, he put us in a like, if you want to opt out for COVID, that's fine. Opt out in April, you know. Opt out in May. Like, why are you opting out a couple weeks before the season starts? You've just put us in a horrific situation there. So I have no love loss for uh, for Jamie Newman. There's no doubt about it. So good question, interesting question. But I and I get the impulse, especially coming after after what we saw Saturday in Jacksonville. But I, I still like we just went through the the whole East there. I, I would still say that we're not the worst, probably somewhere in the middle. But that's not good enough. We've got to be, we've got to be the best in the SEC East. Like the, we're Georgia, the way we recruit, we've got to have the best quarterback situation in the league, uh, or in the SEC East, at least the top one or two in the SEC East year in year out. If we're going to have a chance to to do, to do the things that we want to do and that we have been doing the past couple of years, and that's just not the case this year. All right, moving on. Another quarterback question. This is another interesting one here. Thanks, James. Uh, it's a great question from James. He asked. Hypothetically, how would we have fared on Saturday's game with Jake Fromm at quarterback? I feel like he could have at least hit a few open receivers. Jake Fromm triggers people, Curtis, but is he on to something here? Yeah, I'm actually with him because, like, it wasn't like Stetson was really outside the, fir- the first series or two. He wasn't, neither of our quarterbacks really using their legs, and yet we were still able to draw people open. So, really, what we were just missing was someone who could just complete a pass and throw an accurate ball. Um, now outside Jake's last year where that was not his strong suit, I still think he probably would have given us a better shot to win that game, at least to complete some passes because there were plays to be made this year. And I think that's what was most frustrating is last year, our offense was abysmal because we couldn't get people open. Yep. And then this year, at least so far we've gotten people open and we just can't hit them. So it's just, I, at least I think he may have given us at least a better shot of completing passes. Honestly, I know this might not be popular because Florida put up a lot of points, but we were still with – I mean, we were a dropped pick six away from being down by a touchdown with a couple minutes left in that game, getting one stop. Yeah, a drop pick six and a bad punt, really, were some of the difference. And and a couple couple of missed touchdown passes. Like, I know the final score is 16 points or whatever. And, and, and look, Florida deserved to win that game. They they executed. They played better than us. But, like, it's not like that we were – we had no chance in that game. Like, we were just completely outmanned and outgunned. Like, no, we had chances. We just didn't have the quarterback to hit the plays. And our defense didn't make enough stops in the first half. And then we had a chance to make a game-changing pick six. Mark Webb just drops the ball. Uh, that's that's tough. That's tough. So, I, you know, I, I think that we actually could have won that game with Jake Fromm. And I'm not saying Jake Fromm is Trevor Lawrence or Joe Burrow. 
But you you hit the nail on the head there, Chris. Last year, Fromm's numbers dropped dramatically because we had receivers that simply – it was a combination. We had receivers that couldn't get open, and we had an offensive coordinator that didn't know how to scheme guys open consistently. Those two things. So when you have guys that aren't open, Fromm has physical limitations that did not allow him to compensate for that. But when you have playmakers around you and you have guys that are getting open, whether it's because of their, their, their ability or because you have a coordinator like Todd Mung who's scheming guys open consistently, when guys are open, we saw that as a freshman and sophomore. Fromm would hit them. Fromm would make plays, okay? Now, I'm not, again, not saying he's Lawrence or Burrow, but Jake Fromm won a lot of games for us, guys. Won a couple of SEC East Championships in a row, three in a row, mind you, okay? I know that's not the SEC, the entire SEC or the National Championship, but he still put us in a really good position. And by the way, guys, Jake Fromm's numbers, career, 63% completion percentage for his career, um, 62 as a freshman, 67 as a sophomore, and then 60.8 last year. Averaged 8.4 yards per attempt. Nine yards per attempt his first two years, 7.4 last year, dropped a, a significant amount last year with our issues of receiver and, and offensive coordinator. 78 touchdowns, 18 interceptions. No, Jay Fromm is not an elite quarterback. Never was. But Jay Fromm is a really, really good quarterback for us. Did a lot of good things for us. And he's significantly better than any option that we put out there this year. So, yeah, I, I'm not, and I'm not like, – I would not even – honestly, like, Curtis, would the Alabama game have been different if Jay Fromm's a quarterback? Possibly. I'm not saying we win that game. I think there's a chance, though. I'm not going to just – concede that because there were throws in that game especially in the second half we know that Stetson like we, we in, the, in the recap episode we talked about how Stetson like he didn't he was the only factor in that game but he was a major contributing factor to that loss especially in the second half in the Florida game we were just asteroid quarterback was it nine of 29 like whatever it was Fromm wasn't gonna I mean again Fromm's not gonna make plays on his own but we had guys open Fromm's gonna hit those guys more often than not okay now I don't I know he struggled with deep ball accuracy at times but especially those intermediate throws Fromm's going to hit those. He's not going to make some of those bad decisions that Stetson and Dewan were making. So, yeah, I, I think, honestly, there's a chance we could have won that game. I think we would probably be right now probably 5-1 and one at worst if Jake Fromm was still here in Athens as our quarterback. And I know we were supposed to have Jamie Newman and Jake Daniels supposed to be healthy, but the fact is they're not. And we would be a better team right now if Jake Fromm was here. I think there's honestly no doubt about that. Now, of course, I know people are going to sit there and say, well, we'd be even better if we had Justin Fields. Well, no kidding, guys. Yes, I, of course we would. But the question right now is about Jake Fromm. If he was still here, would, he, would we be better? Yeah. I think it would. Of course, we'd be better if, if Justin Fields was still on the team. But I think we'd also be better if Jake Fromm was here. I agree. And Curtis, we have a ton more questions to get to. But real quick, I want to take a minute or two to remind everyone about our friends at MyBookie. We know this has been an insanely weird year, guys. College football started about a month late. We had the NBA playoffs in a bubble. UFC Fight Island. It's been weird. But that's why you need a sports book with offers unlike any other. Get some skin in the game with my bookie, guys. It makes your Saturdays so much more interesting. You can watch all the games all day long with teams that you don't really normally have a rooting interest in. All of a sudden, you find yourself having a rooting interest in. You've got odd boosts, lightning deals, free bets all season long. And Thanksgiving, guys, it's right around the corner. So there's no better time to feast on some NFL action. And it doesn't matter if you're a first-time customer or you've been with my bookie for years like Curtis and I have. There's no shortage of value to be found in the thousands of game lines, unique prop bets, and all the contests they offer each and every week. So sign up or get reloaded today, find your edge, and make your bet. And then best of all, get paid. And if sports betting isn't necessarily your thing and you're more of like a casino type guy, they also have a full-fledged casino platform giving you all the access you want to the classic table, slot, and card games that you expect to find at any local spot. And the best part is my bookie's doors don't close, guys. 
you can continue to build your bankroll even after the lights have gone out. So make the right play. It's simple. Sign up today at MyBookie. When you do, use promo code OVERTIME to get your deposit matched halfway all the way up to $1,000. It's real simple, guys. Put in like 200 bucks, they'll match you with another 100 in your account. So if you were already playing a bet this season, this is free betting money. It doesn't get any better than that. It's winning season at MyBookie. So come join in on the fun and win some cash while you're at it. All right, next up, we have a question from Guy. Thanks for the question, man. Uh, he asked, why is JT Daniels dressing out and taking up a roster spot if he can't play? Can we all agree if he can play and isn't playing that it's malpractice by the coaches? Kurt, what's your, what's your take on that? Oh, I'm not going to say it's malpractice. Just because you're cleared and that you could go in there if the circumstances required it doesn't mean – especially at the beginning of the year, that's the biggest thing. It's like, yeah, he was clear, but he was still a long way off. He wasn't where he needed to be physically to do it. And, I mean, maybe at this point you could say it is because he may be closer ready to go. But realistically, who, I also have to say, like, what roster spot is he taking that is going to cost us a game um, sure. realistically? Like, who is he out there taking a spot from that's, that is robbing robbing them and taking them stopping them from going out there and playing. And I don't know, I, can't, I really can't name anyone because Kirby does a pretty good job of managing the roster when it comes to, you know, who's out there and um, who's dressed out and things like that. So I don't, I don't really agree with that, saying he's taking a roster spot, um, in my opinion. But at the same time, um, especially at the beginning of the season, I just don't think he was physically ready. It's the more that's coming out that his body just hadn't responded well, especially when they're saying he suffered a setback against Auburn after he was cleared. But maybe now at this point – We've mentioned, you know, kind of what do you have to lose because maybe he's not fully 100% mobile, ready to go, and can run the offense. And we may have to take out some plays and run different things because he can't do it physically. But at this point, you have nothing to lose except trying to get him some experience and hopefully get him to stay around and give him the opportunity next year. Yeah, I, I like that take. I mean, look, I, I get where guy, I get where you're coming from, man. Like, why, why like, as you said, Curtis Kirby does a great job of man, managing the roster, he puts a premium on those roster spots, all that. So if that's the case, then why would he have JT dress out if he's not an option to play? And I think you you, you nailed it though, Curtis. There's a difference between being like 100 healthy and being able to potentially go in there and and help in a pinch in an emergency situation. I'll give you guys an example. Kenny McIntosh, who's been out for a couple of weeks now, made the trip to Jacksonville. Kirby mentioned that in his in I think actually his Monday press conference, and when he was asked about some of the injuries, and he he and I saw him on the sideline there on Saturday, and he he brought him up. He said, yeah, he was there like. He's probably going to be fine this week. We think he's going to be okay, ready to go this week because he was actually in Jacksonville, dressed out, and he was there. We thought he could go if there was an emergency, like if we had no other backs available. And we almost got there, you know, Milton going out and just, yeah, tough spot. Um, so I think that's that can happen in any position, including quarterback, where you might not be 100% healthy. You might not be healthy enough to say that you're the best option for us right now. But if, if a bunch of guys go down, which happens in the SEC, we've seen it week in and week out now this year, guys he's at least healthy enough to get out there and, and play maybe not as at, at as high of a level as you would like him to play, but he can go out there and play. Um, but I, I do get the sentiment. I understand where you're coming from here. Uh, and if he is hundred percent healthy and ready to play, I do think it's coaching malpractice. By the yeah, I agree too. Like if he, if, if he is hundred percent ready and at that point, I don't know what's holding him back when the other two haven't done a single thing to really hold anybody off. So if that's the case, and I agree that, I do question their decisions, but I still honestly don't believe that he is 100%. Well, Kurt, let's just let, let's live in imaginary land for a second. Let's say that 
JT Daniels somehow gets a start against Missouri. He goes out there. He starts the game. He plays lights out, throws for like 350, 400 yards. Our offense puts up 50 points on a pretty solid Missouri defense. Would that then be fair to say it's coaching malpractice at that point? Um, I would question at least the Florida game. I'm not going to go back to Alabama or Kentucky game because you still don't know a week to week of how what how he has responded and things like that. So I'm not going to question those games as much as I would say the Florida game in particular where we were struggling and we completed, what, nine of almost 30 passes. Um, in that situation, I'd probably question that decision to at least not let him get out there. Yeah, I think you can question the Florida game because we're talking about a one-week separation. How much improvement did he make in one week from a health standpoint or from a catching yeah. up standpoint? I think that's fair. We're going back to like early in the year. We, guys, we still don't know like how healthy was he early in the year. And even if he was healthy, when he's even if being cleared means you're 100% healthy, which I don't think – what I've been told it does not mean that. You, he still missed so many reps that he's got to catch up. I mean, he's new to this offense. He, he was basically getting no reps. Um, he's been, and he's been repping with the scout team. So I, I think – Different where if he's been in this offense for a while and can just step back in knowing – what to do but that's not the case exactly exactly and I know it's it's tough when you see Daniel or when you see Bennett struggle as much as he has and Mathis when he's gotten his few opportunities when he struggled you're like well obviously these guys cannot be better than JT Daniels I get that guys but that doesn't mean he's 100% healthy you're we're thinking of like the JT Daniels he was pre-injury like if he's back to that point already awesome then yeah he should have been playing um, but even then, if he was healthy, like you still got to catch up from the rep standpoint because you're right, Cardi, he hasn't been here in this system. It's new for him. No spring practice, a couple of weeks in the in the preseason. And then he missed all those reps because we got closer as we got closer to the season and we weren't sure if he was going to be cleared. You can't rep him. He cannot get reps with the ones. So there, and when you get once you get into the season, you have to get a guy ready to play. You have to have your starter take like 80% of the snaps with the ones. And then your backup is to take the rest of the snaps. You can't have a, a guy that's third string because he's coming off an injury eating into your snaps with the ones and twos. You just can't have that. So it's really tough once you get into the season, once you go down that road to get that guy back ready. That, I, that's why I said, you know, I, I was really concerned after the bye week. If he didn't play after the bye week, then I didn't know if he was going to be playing this year, uh, at least until we lost the game and we're kind of out of it like we did against Florida. So it's an interesting question, but I think that's where you and I are both on that question, Curtis. All right, uh, a couple more here about the quarterback real quick. So Tim has a question here, very simple, Curtis. Tim says, prediction time. Who starts at quarterback against Missouri? Um, if I had to guess, I would, I may go towards JT Daniels. And the fact is that we know what Mathis can do or really what he can't do is the nice way to put it of when he's out at quarterback. Um, so, I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if it was JT just to at least give him a chance to see what he could do out there. Do you really trust Kirby Smart to do that at this point? Um, at this point, he has nothing to lose. I mean, this, I mean, the yeah, we're, like you said, we're going to go maybe for the peach bowl or something like that. Like, at this point, you've got to potentially see what the guy can do, like I said, to try to hopefully maybe stop the possibility of him transferring again, which I still think is a little crazy because he's used his waiver. But you got to try to see what – if the guy is close enough to go, then is, is him sitting in the pocket, becoming a pocket passer, that much worse than having a quarterback who can run but throws all 10 yards over everyone's head? Yeah, that's that's fair. And that's – yeah, I, look, I think it's – if I had to predict right now, I'm going I'm to go with JT Daniels. And I don't have any inside information on that. All I know is that he was taking reps with the ones. And that's that's kind of what I'm going with here is this guy goes from like working with a scout team and getting some reps with the twos to now taking reps with the ones. And I know Stetson Bennett's injury is a part of it. If you listen to Kirby's Monday press conference, he did not – like he didn't come out and say that Stetson wasn't going to be healthy to go. But he said all three guys are going to be repping. We're talking about Carson Beck, Daniels, and Mathis. But Stets, you know, if he's healthy, he can get back in there and, and start taking some rest. But he, did, he didn't know when he'd be clear. Even if he's clear in time for the game, is he going to get enough reps in practice to really be able to start this football game? 
So I think you're right, though. We, we know what we have in him already, and he's not 100% healthy right now with the AC spraying the shoulder. Dwan Mathis clearly doesn't seem to be ready. And though I guess I admit it's a small sample size, and he hasn't really been put in a great spot, but it just doesn't seem like the guy's ready. He's not – and I'm not saying he can't ever be ready. I like the physical tools. I just don't think he's de- he's there yet. He missed a whole year of development last year. Carson Beck, we don't know. We haven't seen any of this guy at, at the college level, but I know that he's been making progress is what I've heard coming out of, out of practice. But what does that mean? So, yeah, why not just – Try JT again. The thing is, like, just because you go with him to start the game, doesn't like if he if he falters, well, you don't have to stick with him the whole game. We, we've seen this already against Arkansas. You can you can put somebody else in there, but let's give him a shot. See what he has. If we know these other guys aren't the answer right now, then let's at least see if JT might be the answer. And and maybe now after the four loss, Kirby is going to take that mentality. I don't you don't have any inside information on that, but that's kind of looking at the tea leaves here. That's kind of where I'm going to lean here. So no guarantee, but I'm going to go with uh, I'm going to go with JT. Takes to get the start against Missouri. Uh, I think this is our last one. Yeah, last question about the quarterbacks. Kind of looking ahead to next year, Curtis. Alexander, our good friend Alexander, asked, if you had to guess, who do you think is our starter week one versus Clemson next season? Is it someone currently on our roster, i.e. Mathis, Beck, or Daniels? What do you think, Kurt? Um, so for next year. For next year. It's Clemson week one. Um, sure. If it's not Daniels, I think it's someone that's not on the roster. So you don't think it's gonna be Mathis or Beck? Uh, or Beck. The thing that the one thing that really bothers me about Beck is he is not you're not hearing anything of him making strides and improving as a quarterback. Um, and that's the biggest thing that's standing out to me is I'm not expecting him to come out there and take the job this year. But I was expecting to hear some more things about him, you know, in the positive nature. And I haven't heard anything out of him that makes me think that he's really taking strides to get improve as a quarterback and put himself in a better situation for the future. Now he may. Um, going forward, but you just haven't heard anything out of him. And then Mathis, um, I don't know if there's enough time in the world to get him ready. For next year? I mean, I don't know. This guy, again, he missed all of last year. Certainly, it's Yeah, but I mean, it's, it's, for him, it's just the things that like are inexcusable, like not even throwing the ball near someone. Like I, I can get if you're not making the, the right read because you don't have all the reps and all these things, but the, the things that he does, the mistakes he does of running out of bounds and just literally not even throwing a catchable ball. It's just like, is time really going to help you improve all of a sudden on all these things that you just, for some reason, can't figure out? So like some of these things are like instinctive, natural things that you just don't learn and develop over time. Okay, I, I get yeah, you. I mean, it, but, I mean, you can improve on your accuracy and things like that, but I don't know what's going to help him learn not to throw the ball over everyone's head. I mean, it's as simple as that. Like, It's almost like you're playing backyard football and you just throw – trying to yeah. show off your big arm and that's what you, you can so that's why i don't really feel if it's if it's not daniels then of the other two out there i mean you don't know much about beck but i don't do so you think daniels are rock yeah yeah i'm on that train at this point i think i'm there too um, unless we unless we find another grad transfer out there that could be the bridge between brock but that's why i say if it's not daniels and it's someone not on the roster currently yeah, grad transfer is a variable that we we can't predict right now. It's certainly possible, but we can't predict. We need that. to go kidnap a guy from BYU. Oh God, yeah. Uh, we just you just don't know. So like I, I, I can't predict that. So going off what we know right now, I think it would be Daniels or Brock Vanegrift, the the high school senior right now, would be a true freshman next year. 
I would probably lean towards Daniels if he's still on the roster. Hopefully he gets in here and plays well against Missouri and plays well down the stretch, and that keeps him on the team and keeps him from transferring, and it gives him a whole other year to get healthy. I think best-case scenario, like I told you guys in the preseason, best-case scenario was that Jamie Newman won the job this year. JT Daniels uh, spent this year getting healthy, getting better, getting, getting back into a rhythm, was our starter next year, goes pro, and then you have Brock Vandegrift as a redshirt freshman. That was best case scenario. Now, obviously, we know Newman left, but we can still have Daniels as a quarterback next year and give that kind of that that bridge year to Brock. So, I, I think that's the best case scenario. And right now, it's probably where I would lean. Certainly, again, there's no guarantees right now with our quarterback position. There's no telling what it will look like. There's no telling who will be on the roster next year. We don't know. But I, if I had to guess right now, I'm probably going to lean JT Daniels week one against Clemson and Charlotte next year. That's where I'd go. All right, let's move away from the quarterback position. We spent about half the show talking about quarterbacks, more than half the show. Let's move on, though. we got a question here from Darren. Darren asks, what the heck is happening to our defense in these big games? Is it scheme or is it talent? I know we're facing some great offenses, but something isn't right. Kurt, how do you make sense of that? You know, two big games against two good offenses, Alabama and Florida, and we have gotten embarrassed defensively. The Florida game was the one that was a little bit frustrating to me because a lot of it was people were just too wide open um, for a majority of those big plays, which is what bothers me. And I have to say, I sometimes am starting to question Kirby's decision, maybe landing in general too. Um, the big teams, you know, these big games are against teams with good offenses. And it's, we're kind of seeing that we're not going to be successful playing on an island against all these teams that are explosive offensively, that you're going to have to play a zone and try to not give up the big plays and make them move down the field. Cause that's always been Kirby's MO is to not give up the big plays, but that's what we've been doing against them is giving up the big plays. So I think that maybe against some of these explosive teams, we need to start looking at going back to a zone. Yeah. Well, Kirby likes to do now is, I mean, he likes to play basically man under with a too high safety look with man underneath. Right. Because uh, that, that protects you against some of these deep vertical routes and some of those big plays. Since you're playing man, but you also have safety help over the top. But when you play, face teams like Florida and especially Alabama, who have multiple elite receiving options that can stress you in multiple ways, it makes it really tough because they can find they have enough weapons that somebody's that man coverage somewhere out there. And who and the they have quarterbacks that are good enough to identify where that person is going to be, and they find it and they hurt you with it. We've saw, we've seen that in two games now. So yeah, I, I'm I'm with you there. Maybe work examine what we're doing from a coverage standpoint at times. I do think from a talent perspective, like Curtis, do you think our cornerbacks are as good as some people want them to be? Um, I mean, it's just, Campbell outside of one play, at least is usually in pretty good coverage. He just doesn't make a great play on the ball usually. Um, but I still don't think that we have a DeAndre Baker like we had where he sh- literally took away that entire side of the field. We don't, we haven't had that. Now I think Campbell's getting uh, hyped up because of his attributes, but he still has never played up to that level. He basically missed all of last year, too. He's another guy that missed a ton of development time last year with that toe injury. And I know he came back and played late in the year, but he was still very, very iffy on that toe. I think it was, it was a turf toe thing. But Campbell, and he was raw coming out. And, I, and he's a guy that's still learning how to play. But he has been, I will say this year, he has improved. He hasn't been perfect, but he's been in a much better position. Go back to the Tennessee catch, uh, touchdown catch that they got on him. That, he was in great position. It was just an incredible throw, an incredible catch. Sometimes it happens. Against Florida, the touchdown catch to Kyle Pitts. He was in an incredible position. He played the back shoulder, which is what he was clearly coached to do because Kyle Pitts is a back shoulder player, guys. But when he was playing that, Kyle Pitts saw that and went over the top. That's what good quarterbacks and good receivers do. And Kyle Pitts is big, tall, physical, went up and got the ball. That happens. I, I, don't, I honestly don't know exactly what he was supposed to do because if either, he can either take away the back shoulder or he can take away the over the top or the fade. He took away the back shoulder. They went with the fade. They completed it. They executed. It was that simple. Uh, now, there were some plays in Alabama where he got beat, for sure, for sure. 
Uh, but he he has he's been up and down. He's had really good moments. But he's had some moments when he hasn't been great. But I'm not giving up on him. I I wish he would come back next year. I don't know if he will. I think it would really behoove him to do that because I think he has more room to grow and he could be a, a first round pick potentially if he continues to develop with another year in this system. But uh, look, I, I do think honestly, I, I've said this before. I said in the recap show. I'll say it again. You just can't – it's not about defensive football anymore. You have to be good enough on defense to get a couple of stops, but you have to be – you have to have an elite offense to outscore teams in these big-time matchups against elite teams, and then you have to have the better defense that can get just enough stops. I mean, look at all these games, guys. Look at look at Clemson and, and Notre Dame on, on Saturday. That was 47-40, 33-33 going, going into overtime. Look at, what, look at the scores when Alabama plays Clemson. Let me look up those scores real quick. So that score was 44-16 in 2019. Uh, in the game before that, it was – in 2017, it was 35-31. If you look at these, when, an, when elite teams match up, they're going to get theirs offensively. And the reason for that, guys, is just the offensive innovations over the past five or six years. And you can go back further, maybe a little bit longer than that. But especially over the last five or six years, and in combination with the rule changes and just how the rules are structured to favor offenses – an elite offense is going to win out over an elite defense almost every single time. It's just about can you stop them enough? Now, when we play teams like Kentucky, yeah, we can hold them to three points. When you play Alabama and you play and you play Clemson or you play Florida when they have an elite offense, you play LSU last year, you're gonna have to score because they can score. And the problem is we have not been able to keep up with them. Now we've been up to I will say this year we've been up way too many big plays. But what you mentioned, Curtis, has been something Kirby Smart has harped on. Don't give up the big play. Florida had way too many short drives against Alabama. Same thing, too many explosive plays. And a big part of that, and this is something we have not seen from Kirby Smart defense all that often, really, really poor eye discipline. It killed us against Alabama, and it really killed us against Florida. They hurt us bad with, with poor eye discipline. Guys just blowing assignments, which you don't really see. You just don't see those busts like that that very often with a Kirby Smart daily defense. So we've seen it far too often this year. And that's been a problem. Yeah, Alabama's good. And they got great, great skill players. Yes, Florida has good skill players. But a lot of it was it – was, it wasn't so much them. Like, yeah, Florida made some plays offensive, offensively, but a lot of it was us. Like, it was us not being in the right spot, not having our eyes in the right spot, not covering a man, not playing with proper technique, not executing. And we haven't always seen that. Like, yeah, sometimes you get beat. That happens. But typically, more often than not, we execute. And that hasn't been the case this year. Schematically, I would also say schematically, we can do some things a little bit differently. We've always put such an emphasis on stopping the run on standard downs, on first and second down to get to third and long, where we get really aggressive with our third down dime package. But we're not aggressive enough on our standard downs, in my opinion. I think we play the run too much, and I, I get it. I understand that's in Kirby's DNA, and that's kind of how he's done things and has so much success for so long. And look, you've definitely got to stop the run. But it's a now this the game has become about quarterback and receivers. All right, that's what it's become about. So to stop that, you have to affect them. You have to have guys that get after the quarterback. So we need to let some of these guys loose. When you think about what we do schematically uh, on, on the standard downs and just get after the quarterback. Not even talking about just bringing pressure consistently, but even when you're four man rush, let your guys actually rush the passer more consistently than we do. And I and I put a premium on that as opposed to just always focusing clearly on stopping the run when you're facing these big teams because they're not killing us with a run. They're not right now. And I think that's something schematically that we need to look at as well. So I think it's a combination of things. You're right, Darren. Like it, it's not, there's something not right. But like if you look at, like at the rules though, where you can have that offenses with the pick plays, like that really came into fashion with the air raid with Mike Leach running the mesh routes. And, the, and now teams have expanded how they're doing, how they're running picks. And it's not always legal, but you know what? The officials don't call it. So teams are going to keep running. They just, they, the, the percentage of times they actually call it 
it doesn't actually discourage you or dissuade you from running those routes. So that's going to keep happening. If RPOs with the, with the offensive lineman can be down the field four yards, basically blocking your run, it's extremely difficult for a defense to to to, uh, to defend. Then you have uh, like they, they just never like, even like on jump balls, they don't call offensive pass interference. Like, they push off all the time. They never call that. It, it, like when, when a running back's running down the field, the stiff arm, he can grab the defender's face, that's all he wants, twist, do whatever he wants, no penalty. Then the targeting call, it's taken away your aggressiveness as a, as a defensive player. So the rules have just simply favored offenses, and it's extraordinarily hard to win games defensively now. It's a combination of things, offensive innovations, in combination with those rule changes and just the rules in general favoring offenses. It's hard. So you can't just win with defense against elite teams. Jack, it's Three, but you're not going to be Alabama. You're not going to be Florida consistently. You're not going to be LSU. We have Joe Burrow with that kind of scheme. You're just not going to, not anymore, not in this day and age. All right, couple more guys. I know we're running out of time, Kurt. But we're going to keep going through here. Uh, Sam has a good question. How badly do you think the loss to Florida set the program back? What do you think, Kurt? Um, I don't think it set the, the program back. Um, you know, Florida caught us at the right time. This is the best offense they've ever had, or even the best offense they've had in a while. Um, against our defense that was depleted in our offense, which was abysmal. Um, but I don't think it set us back. I think, if anything, it magnified the need for change going forward, that we're not going to win the big game and compete on the big stage if we can't score offensively. That's an interesting take. So instead of like setting us back, you think it might be a catalyst for us improving moving forward? I think you have to look at it that way because, especially after the Alabama game and things like that, like we're going to have to have to score points to win the big game and – if you survive some of these games without scoring a lot, you can eh, you can justify at times not making big changes. Yeah, I, I mean, I've said before, like Kirby had to be woken up. I think the, I think last year the offensive issues like that was a wake up call for him. That's why he went out, hired Munkin, moved on from his good friends and James Coley, which was tough for him to do. I, I know that I've, I've heard that from people close to the situation. Yeah, that was tough for him to do, but he did it because he knew it was in the best interest of our team. Went out and got Jamie Newman, JT Daniels, and things just haven't worked out. Like a lot of that is not necessarily his fault. I can put things in the past on him. I don't think the way that things worked out with Newman and, and Daniels is really his fault. And a lot of people are angry right now and put that on him. I don't really. Um, so I think that's interesting, Kurt, that it could be a catalyst for further change and, and convincing him, like, hey, this is my wake-up call. But I don't think it set us back. Like, guys, like, you, look, we beat Florida three times in a row. We've won these three years in a row. Uh, we're not going to win it for infinity. I mean, like, even, even Almighty State doesn't win the SEC West every year. Yeah, I mean, Alabama – guys, Alabama played in the Capital One Bowl last year, okay? Like, that's what they played in. And Alabama's an elite program, right? I, and look, I, I don't – like, in terms of, like, setting our program back, I don't think – people view our program any differently now than they did before the like coming into this year it's, i think they still see us outside of the georgia fan base as a borderline elite program that wins a lot of games and can and has extraordinary good talent and recruits at a high level that is a, a kind of a sleeping giant and, I, and we've kind of woken up i don't call it a sleeping giant anymore but it's just we just haven't gotten over that last hurdle one national title i think it's will help how people view us and i don't think they view us any differently after that florida game it seems like you lose and like if you actually watch that game Again, like even as bad as the quarterback play was, like we still had chances. We just didn't execute. Against Alabama, like we were winning that game for two and a half quarters, and we just faded down the stretch. We didn't execute down the stretch, and Alabama did. Give them credit. They played better. And I, th- I think I think most people realize that Georgia's just one quarterback away. We are one quarterback away. We have everything else we need. We are one really good quarterback away from being a team that's in the playoff every single year and competing and actually winning national titles. And I can't guarantee we're going to get that. I know some people say, yeah, we had Justin Fields. I get it, but like we're we're moving forward now, guys. Um, and I don't know when we're going to get that. Maybe it's Brock. Maybe it's Daniels. I don't know. Maybe it's somebody else. Maybe it's a grad transfer. I don't know. But I think people still view us that way. And I mean, look at Notre Dame, guys. Notre Dame just beat Clemson. They're on track to win the ACC this year and be in the college football playoff again. They lost to us last year, guys. Did that set their program back? 
like te- like elite teams, big time teams lose games. When you play good teams, you're you're not going to win every game. Now I know we need to start winning some more of these games. And recently, LSU last year in the title game, Alabama this year, four this year. Recently, it hasn't been a good look, but we've beaten Florida again three times in a row. Right? We've pushed Alabama to the brink in two different games. Like we've won some big games. We beat Oklahoma uh, in, a, in an epic Rose Bowl game. Like I don't think this really set our program back. I know it might feel that way because we're looking forward to next year and say, like, is there any hope for next year with the quarterback situation? I understand that, that impulse, but I don't think it really set the program back. And I think it's an interesting way to look at it, Kurt, that you said it might be a kind of a, a catalyst for us to maybe make some changes that will put the program in, in a better position. Interesting. Um, all right, a couple more here so we can get to these. Adam asks, I think our coaching staff starts with a fantastic game plan most of the time. Why are the halftime adjustments lacking? I get chopping wood, but maybe change the axel. What do you think, Kurt? Um, I think a lot of it has to do with just our deficiencies at certain positions. You can only mask them for so long, no matter how good of a game plan you have. Um, they're going to make their adjustments, and we can only make so many adjustments with what we have, um, especially with the quarterback play and things like that, where you can't, you can only mask it for so long. Yeah, I was slightly pushed back here and say I think we do for not every game, but we do make some pretty good halftime adjustments. Remember, we held Florida to under like a little over 150 yards in the second half, only six points. We made we we started to bring more pressure on on Trask to try to affect him a little bit more. We realized we had to do that because what we were doing staying back there wasn't working, and we and you can say that they went more conservative. I don't really think they did. Uh, I think we just played better on defense. We made some we made some adjustments in that game. We made some adjustments in in, in the second half against Arkansas to win that game. So, yeah, I, I don't think it's a rule that we don't make good halftime adjustments. I think Jim Chaney offensively a couple years ago, like that was an issue for him. Like he would have great game plans and teams would figure him out and then he would have no answers. I don't know if that – I haven't seen that from Todd Munkin. And I think Kirby Smart and Dan do a really good job of making adjustments in the second half. Sometimes teams just make plays. But I think against Florida, I thought we had a much better second half defensively than we did the first half. I mean, I'm not saying this doesn't happen from time to time in certain games, but I don't think it's necessarily a rule at this point. All right, Kurt, real quick, one last question. Nathan asks, with college football, the college football playoff and SEC championship game more than likely out of the picture, should Kirby tank the season to get younger players more experience for next year, especially with seniors being able to return next year? Hmm, what do you think, Kurt? Should we like sit players like Monty Rice out and let them get healthy for the NFL draft? Should we just go ahead and tank? Um, I don't know if you want to tank because you're talking about his thing was, well, the seniors can return. Are the seniors going to want to return if we just throw them to the side and say, hey, we want to let these other, other guys get experience? I don't think that leaves a good yeah, taste your in senior mouth. Year, Your final year of football potentially doesn't matter. Yeah, and I mean, and yeah, they could come back, but why would they want to come back if all of a sudden they just got passed up to give the other guys experience? Then why are they coming back if the, if the other guys are what we're going to rely on? Um, and it's, it's different from the NFL and stuff like too. It's not like that. Um, it's just, I just think it's completely different. Um, yeah. The idea of tanking is what do you get out of tanking? There's no value. You don't get the number like one draft pick, pick like in recruiting. You don't get your first choice of high school prospects because you finished last in the SEC East. Like that doesn't it doesn't work like that. So it's, it's a yeah, different and I think that, honestly it may leave a bad taste in recruits' mouths if the last thing they see is us just not competing at all. Yeah, great point. And again, the NFL and the college football game are just very, very different. In the NFL, yes, you are rewarded for tanking, for being the worst team in the league. You get a tangible reward. You get the first pick in the draft. You can make that selection from the available college players coming into the draft, or you can trade it. You have tangible value there, but there is no tangible value associated with tanking in college football. Like I said, just because you don't think you have anything to play for anymore, no championship to play for, just because you finish at the bottom of the league doesn't mean that you get the first pick in the conference or in the country of the available college football players. It doesn't work like that. You guys know that. I mean, it's just, it's a very different structure. And honestly, one of the reasons I love college football is that 
rivalries matter. Think about all these teams that can't really ever compete for an SEC title or a national title. I mean, we're fortunate, guys. I know it doesn't feel that way right now, but we're fortunate that we are a program that has the expectations year in, year out that we should be competing for SEC titles, division titles, conference titles, the playoffs, the national championship. We have those expectations because those are realistic goals for our program. That's not the case for every program. Like Mississippi State, Vanderbilt, like those programs aren't ever really going to compete for really even division titles, let alone SEC titles or playoff bursts or national titles. But the Egg Bowl, at least to me every year, is still one of the must-watch games every single season, not because it has any sort of impact on the national college ball landscape on who's going to make the the SEC title game or who's, I mean, I guess it has randomly at times, but the vast majority of the time, it has no impact on the SEC West race. It has no impact on the SEC title race. It has no impact on who's going to make the college ball playoff, who's going to win a national title. Like It's never had an impact on who's going to win a national title, has it? Like At least not in my lifetime, maybe back in the 50s and 60s. But yet, people still watch those games. They're still attracted by those games. They're pulled in to watch them, even though you might not have a dog in the fight. Like, I don't care about Mississippi or Mississippi State. It doesn't matter to me, but I still never miss an Egg Bowl. It's always an incredible game to watch, never more so than now with, of course, Mike Leach and Lane Kiffin at the helm of each of those respective programs. In the grand scheme of the world, in the grand scheme of the cultural ball landscape, it doesn't usually matter who wins that game, but you know what? It does matter to the people of Mississippi. It matters to the people in the, inside those programs, inside that state that go to those schools. It's a huge deal. And that's what makes college football so great. I mean, there's so many reasons why college football is the greatest thing ever invented, but the pride, the pageantry, the passion, the the personal nature of college football, it's unbeatable. Like, I don't think there's anything like it anywhere in the world. I know I'm not a European soccer fan. And I know the European soccer fans would, would disagree with me, but college football is this unique force in the American sports landscape. I mean, I, I know like Falcons fans, I know you don't like the Saints. I get that, but... If the Falcons went one in fifteen, and one of those wins happened to be against the Saints, like that's not going to be much of a consolation prize. That's still going to feel like the season was a complete and utter failure. But there's a world where in college football, again, I'll use the Egg Bowl as an example, where you can lose every game on the schedule except the Egg Bowl. If you happen to win the Egg Bowl, even though you lose all the other games, it's still not a great season. But like you feel so much better about that how that season ended because that's the biggest game on the schedule year in, year out. So it's, it's just a different animal. And so like you just can't just tank because those other games mean something to people. I know South Carolina, people don't see them as a huge rival, but I hate South Carolina. I want to beat South Carolina badly every single time. I do not like those people at all. And I know we don't play tech this year, but a normal year, even if we haven't played very well, we haven't had a good season, it's still awesome to be able to rise up and beat Georgia Tech, even in our worst seasons. Like 2006, we were terrible in 2006. It was kind of a transition year between Shockley getting to Stafford. We, had, we were rough that year, but we still found a way to rise up and beat Georgia Tech. And that made that season feel a lot better at the end of the day. I mean, we were, I think we were, if I remember correctly, we were 6-4 and four coming into that game. We were having a rough year. We lost on the road to Kentucky. I remember Stafford's nose in the post-game press conference. Was, the bridge of his nose was all bloodied up as a true freshman. And we were sitting there like, oh my God, what just happened? And I think Tech coming into that game, they were good that year. I think they were the top 15, borderline top 15. I think they uh, had maybe two losses, one or two losses coming to that game. It was Reggie Ball at quarterback right at home, and we were able to find a way to get that win, beat them 15-12 to 12 in 2006. And that season felt so different because we were able to be a tech team that people perceived to be better than us. 
even though we weren't going to go to the SEC title game or compete for national titles or really any kind of bowl positioning, just beating Tech, that rivalry made it so awesome. So like, yeah, tanking, I just, I don't buy it in college football. I, I think the only way it, it might help your program is like if you really want to get rid of a coach. Let's say you're like Auburn, you have Gus Malzahn who is so absolutely mediocre each and every year, but finds a way to win a game he shouldn't late and kind of just saves his job. Like last year, beats Alabama, saves his job, right? I mean, how many times can we say that about Gus Malzahn? And so as an Auburn fan, you're kind of, you're in this cycle where you're just doomed to mediocrity year in, year out, because Malzahn does just enough to save his job. Falcons fans can kind of identify with that, I guess, with, with Dan Quinn. So this year, does just enough to save his job. And if you're an Auburn fan, maybe you say, you know what, one year, let's just let's just tank all the way. Let's let's go winless and just get rid of him and bring a new coach in here and let's get a, a new system started. And maybe that can get us where we want to go. Because right now, even though, yeah, we're, we're okay, we're not really going to win an SEC title. We're not going to get in the college playoff with Gus Malzahn. So let's try to get somebody in here who can take us to that point. Maybe the only way that's going to happen is if we just completely tank one season. I get that feeling, but still, like, how do you do that to your seniors? You might never, ever play football again. How do you possibly do that to them? And look at them in the face and say, yep, sorry, guys. It's in the best interest long-term of this program. Even though it might be in the best interest of the program long-term, like that's something that those, those guys can never get back. And Curtis, you mentioned the recruiting implications. Okay, so yeah, you have a bad season, you tank, and you get rid of the coach you want to get rid of, and you get a new guy coming in, but what has that done to the perception of your program? What has that done to your brand and how these high school recruits view your program? What is the perception of your program? How does that damage you in the recruiting front? Like how long does it take you to recover from that? I mean, these, we're talking about 17, 18 year old kids guys, and they are easily swayed by things like that. So are you willing to just give up an entire year of recruiting, maybe two or three years, depending on the impact it has on your program? Do you become the butt of national jokes? Like those things matter in a way it just doesn't matter in the NFL. So again, I, I get where you're coming from because you're saying, oh, well, the SEC East is out of the, the equation. The SEC Championship is out of the equation. Playoffs are out of the equation. Although I will say they like, you're almost certainly right. But in the age of coronavirus, like who knows? Things can go crazy. Maybe Florida comes down with more COVID issues or whatever, and they have guys out and, and they lose some games they shouldn't lose. I'm, I, I don't wish anyone to get COVID. I really do not wish that at all. But like in this crazy COVID year, where it looks like we might not have any SEC games this week, who knows? Like anything is possible. So I don't know. I, I think until you're absolutely mathematically limited, you actually, you can't even really entertain that. Even if you are mathematically limited, I still don't think you can entertain it for all the reasons that we laid out there. But still a fun question. Good question. Appreciate that, Nathan. But all right, guys, that does it for us here today on the Glory UJ podcast. I'm so sorry if we did not get to your question. There's a couple that we still have here that we did not get to. I would try my best to work them in somehow this week. I hate when, when we can't get to all of them. But Curtis has got to run here. He's got some stuff he's got to do for law school. So uh, we'll try to work those in somehow later on this week. At the very least, I'll try to answer those on social media or email, wherever you sent those questions in. I'll try to get to you and get your question answered. I don't, I don't want anyone to feel like we're, we're leaving you out. We, just had, we took the questions as we got them, have a list of them here. And we, put all, we did put all the quarterback questions at the top because we wanted to, to group them together. But other than that, we kind of just had a list of questions as, as we got them. So if we didn't get to yours, I'm so sorry. But um, in the future, don't get discouraged. Please keep sending your questions in, and we will do our very best to get to as many as we possibly can the rest of the season. But thanks for listening, guys. We always appreciate it. For Curtis, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs. <laughs>